How many conversations do you have each day? At work, home, with friends? We have a ton of them every day, right? So when someone turned me on to a book titled Conversations Worth Having, I had to dig into it. I used to have people say, I don't think this will work in my plan. I said, go try it on your kids or your teenagers. And then they come back and say, wow, this works on my teenagers. What works is designing conversations so that they're positive experiences. They're focused on what we need people to do rather than all the stuff they're doing that's driving us crazy. If all you do is tell them what they can't do, they walk away saying, I don't know what to do and I don't like you because all you tell me is everything I do wrong. So you're actually impacting them, shutting them down. They are not as productive. It's not healthy. Welcome to episode number 13. This is the Decide to Lead podcast with Russ Hill. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in, for downloading this week's episode of the Decide to Lead podcast. I'm Russ Hill. This show is for those who aren't yet the person they want to become and for people who've made the decision to lead To help other people, whether that means they're a senior executive of a large national or global organization, we've got plenty of you who are tuning in every week, or whether you're an entrepreneur with just one or two or three employees, or maybe you're a leader in that you've decided to lead the kids that you have. You've got a couple of kids at home and you're a leader at home, or maybe at church or a nonprofit or in the community, wherever you've made the decision to lead and help other people. This show is designed to give you ideas to keep you up to speed on trends and hacks and themes that are happening out there. 20 seconds uh, for those of you who are brand new about me. So you've got some idea of who you're listening to. Again, it's Russ Hill. I work as a consultant for a firm that's been around over 30 years now. And most of my work weeks are spent with large organizations, corporations, And uh, whether they're national restaurant chains in the United States or large global um, manufacturing companies or retailers who you 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 definitely shop at, you've you've had interaction, you know their name or whoever it might be, hospital systems, health insurance companies. My job is to work with leaders to help develop them and to assist organizations in managing their culture so they can accelerate the movement they've got toward the results they're trying to achieve. And so this podcast is a hobby of mine. Every week we introduce you to people or I uh, sometimes we don't do interviews and I just share with you things that I'm seeing or ideas I've come across or trends. And uh, my hope is that I give you something to think about, ideas, something to process and uh, consider whether or not you want to try applying it in your life at home or in the office or at work. And so on this, I'm actually really excited about this week's show, although I'm never not <laughs> excited about the show. There's never a topic I go, man, this one's going to suck. It's going to be so lame that uh, that hasn't happened yet. And I hope it never does. But this week's show is, well, I guess I'd start off this way. I, we, we all know this, right? It's nothing new to us. We know that some conversations we have during the day motivate us. They inspire us. They get us fired up. And other conversations don't, right? They leave us drained. They leave us feeling depleted, maybe even hopeless or frustrated, angry. And so today, the topic is about the architecture of conversations, because each one of us, when you think about it this way, each one of us every day builds 
we construct conversations. Now, we don't spend a lot of energy. Usually we don't thinking about how are we going to build this conversation. They just happen and they happen by the dozens every day in our lives. And so today what I'm going to do is dig into the research, the science, the data on how to build conversations. How can we construct conversations so that people leave the dialogue feeling like that was a conversation worth having? Rather than the opposite, rather than feeling like, you know what, I never want to repeat that experience again. And uh, and so the guest on today's show is Dr. Jackie Stavro. She has her Ph.D. in management. She's a professor at the College of Management at Lawrence Technological University. She's authored several books, uh, along with her co-author, Sherry Torres. And uh, one of the things I appreciate about Jackie is that she's 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 an academic and she is a consultant. She trains and works with leaders, and she'll speak to this in the interview in our, our conversation today about the application of the ideas she's sharing with us. And um, I, I, we, we recorded this uh, conversation recently, a few weeks ago, and I started it off. Let's get right into it. I started it off by asking Jackie, by asking Dr. Stavros, for those people out there who've never heard about you, who is who is Jackie Stavros? Who Jackie is. So um, I've worked most of my life in, with small to mid-sized companies in the high-tech automotive area, being from the uh, metro Detroit area in marketing, branding, strategy. And I've also spent time with the Michigan Small Business Development Centers, helping um, franchises come to the state and then doing international trade. So my career started in high-tech automotive, small to mid-sized companies. And I went back to um, school to earn my doctorate about 20 years ago because I was really interested in the human side of organizations. How do you get employees productive and engaged and thriving and flourishing? And that was probably my passion. And so that's how I stumbled into um, appreciative inquiry, which is one of the most effective and widely used approaches for fostering positive change, and it would dramatically improve your engagement and cultures, and had the opportunity to work with, in 30 different countries with all size um, organizations, nonprofit, the government, um, recently helping another organization coach the, um, the strategic merger of like Marriott International with Sheraton. So I'm having a lot of fun. I really believe in um, appreciative inquiry, and I would say that um, conversations are how we interact and that organizations will either flounder or flourish based on their conversations. Love it. Um, and we, we were talking before um, we started recording about the two things that uh, that our firm that I'm running up against most often with all size organizations, it's happening in huge global for companies as well as in small companies is uh, around employee engagement and employee retention it just seems like so many companies are having challenges with that. And so it's interesting that you started digging into that decades ago, started being interested in it, and that led you to to study it further and to, to become a doctor in that area. And then now this book that you've written, Conversations Worth Having, Using Appreciative Inquiry to Fuel Productive and Meaningful Engagement. For those who are, we've got a decent number of people who are listening who know what appreciative inquiry is. They're familiar with that concept. But there are some who have got to be thinking right now, what, 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 what does she mean? Can you quickly define that? Sure. So um, 
usually when I say AI, people think artificial intelligence. <laughs> um, and that's kind of cool because that gets people interested. But my AI is the human side. So appreciative inquiry in one sentence would be, it's about discovering the best in your people, your organizations, and the communities by inquiring into strengths, possibilities, and successes. So it's about discovering the best. And it's through our questions and through our framing that we can impact others to move forward or backwards. So when I read the title of your latest book, Conversations Worth Having, it immediately makes me think about conversations that aren't worth having, right? Yeah. What's the difference between a conversation that's worth, and I know there's a lot of detail to this, so just mm-hmm. at a high level, and we'll yes. dig deeper into it as, the, as our conversation goes on, what's the difference between a conversation that's worth having and one that's not worth having? Okay, yes, so that's great. And we actually cover that like right off the start in the second chapter of our book is to ask people to think about the nature of your conversations. So a conversation worth having is appreciative and think about appreciation it adds value and it's inquiry based that you and I are engaging even in this interview I can ask you a question you can ask me a question so those are conversations worth having a conversation that I think is never worth having and you might have engaged in are destructive conversations so the other dimension would be instead of appreciative a destructive conversation is very depreciative We're going down, we're going negative, we're devaluing, but it's very statement-based. There's no questions. I'm coming at you really hard and negative and blaming, and guess what? You're coming back at me, critical. And so there is no pausing, there is no appreciation, there are no questions, and destructive conversations are conversations that are not worth having. In our book, we also talk about critical conversations and affirmative conversations, and those are worth having to a point. But at the end of the day, if you could live in what's called the 80-20 rule, and if you look at the research, but if, if four, for every four conversations, if they could be appreciative and inquiry-based to the one that's not, then you're beginning to move in the right direction. And it's also really good for your health. And the premise there is there are going to be occasions where you do need to have a statement-based conversation. Oh, yes. More, right? You're going to – affirmative conversations, the good news, they're appreciative. But if if you don't allow for questions to come in, they're just – they become superficial. I'm nice to you and you're nice to me or I make a comment to you. But they don't go anywhere except maybe Mm. a little boost in energy. So you want to move them into inquiry. And even a critical conversation where I can ask you some questions and they come across as critical and depreciative. Over time, they move into destructive conversations if I stop asking questions or if I'm always really negative. You know, it's, it's so interesting because one of the things that I'm constantly reinforcing with those um, executives and leaders that we interact with, that I interact with on, uh, uh, through, my, through my work is employees, and you can, you know, there's personal application to all of this as well, obviously, and we'll get into that if we've mm-hmm. got time, hopefully. But employees or individuals who are engaged so think in a family someone that's engaged they're not removing themselves from conversations or from activity or in the workplace employees who feel like they're they're enjoying their job they're engaged in the work they're not actively disengaged one of the main differences is whether or not you feel heard and we've talked about that in some of these some of our previous podcast episodes i think you're totally reinforcing that right because i don't feel heard if you're approaching me in a conversation 
where all you're doing is firing statements at me. Everything ends with a period Mm -hmm. rather than a question mark. I think it's so fascinating. It's so true. If I think personal and professional in both areas of my life, there's just a completely different experience when you approach me with questions as opposed to statements. Exactly. So, it, it, so there are a couple of different practices that um, that you and Sherry talk about in the book. Um, I'd love for you to, to to walk us through those. The first one is positive reframing. Will you will you introduce the two concepts and then sure. let's take one at a time. So, if you start with positive framing, that's where you and I become very intentional to shape a conversation to focus on what we need more of, what we really want to happen. What is really energizing? How do we produce positive results? So you can take a problem, something negative, and we call it the flipping technique, and you come to the positive opposite. Sometimes the positive opposite is you're always late for work. What's the opposite? I need you here on time. It can be, um, it can be that easy. At times, um, a challenge could be um, I, I have a teenage son. He wants to drive the car. He wants to stay out late. And I have to think, I just want him to be safe. Why do I, what's the positive opposite? And and so that's what the framing is, is name it. What's your problem, your complaint, or the thing you don't want? But if you're going to use appreciative inquiry, you flip it. What is the positive opposite? What is the thing you want to do? And if you really think about framing it, what is your desired outcome? For example, in a healthcare organization, it was so obvious the problem was quality metrics. The opposite in the ER room was we want to improve quality metrics. But the way they got about it and the type of questions, and this is in our opening story, was it wasn't just about everything that was wrong. There were things going on right in the ER. And not only did they decide that people could be heard, they brought in stakeholders And so at the end, not only did productivity and metrics get better in the ER, but they created a plan, right place, right care, right time, that involved not only the hospital, but all the continuing care places within the community so that you as a patient knew, do I go to the urgent care? Do I go to the after hours? Do I go to the ER? So it was very, what I generative, that a solution more than just let's get the metrics in our ER great impacted the hospital and the community what what's the what's the what's the down okay so if i'm listening to this and i go okay well that sounds good jackie but Mm -hmm. what what's wrong with me focusing on the negative isn't it a faster conversation i can just point out hey son i need you home on time hey drive safely don't do this don't do that what what why why would i care about going against what so often is muscle memory and just focus on the negative what what, what's wrong with that (laughs) okay that's really good so that's what i call um and that's chapter six in the book it's not magic it's science Um, So when you say to your son, don't do this, don't do that, all he hears is what, if I say, I was a lifeguard, if I say don't run on the deck, the brain hears processes run on the deck. They don't hear the no's and the don'ts. Okay, so they're automatically running on the deck. And then they get defensive because they want to do that behavior that you said don't do. So it's asking you to pause and take a moment and say, what are the behaviors you do want and why? That's harder for the for the brain, and they've they've tested this out in studies. And um, again, I go back to my lifeguard days. If I say to you, "Walk on the deck," I'm giving you a command that your brain hears before you realize you're walking on the deck. If I say, "Don't run on the deck," the brain hears "Run on the deck," 
and you run faster and you end up slipping and falling. So a lot of it has to do with the science, the um, neuro-linguistic programming and, the, and our languages. And we actually talk about that in the book. It's so much easier to shout out what you don't want than what you do want. It's Yeah, it's where our brains go, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> what you're suggesting is so much more effective and it takes effort. I've, I've got to assume that as you've, you've interacted with people that uh, have read your book and have heard you speak and have, have employed your services in the organization, you've, you've got to hear feedback that, Jackie, this is hard. <laughs> this is it, not easy. It, it is. And, and I learned about Appreciative Inquiry in 1995. And I was an ISO 9000 QS 14000 auditor. It was against my brain. And it took me um, – I believed in it intuitively, but it took me years to um, really get it. You know, when I, when I first got uh, – I was early in my 20s, and I got promoted into my first management position. I was working in the media business at the time, and a buddy of mine, a friend of mine, said to me when he heard about my promotion, he said – he worked at the same company. He said, Russ, congratulations on the promotion. Now you can tell us all the things we do wrong. And I thought, what a crusty way of – viewing things Manage, I mean, like, yeah. here i am ex- here i am excited about my promotion and you're like and then i sat back jackie and i thought about it and i thought i think he's right i think that's mo- many of us that's our experience with bosses with leaders even unfortunately a lot in our personal lives with spouses or family members is we we tend to point out you think about it te- like teenagers we've been using that example yeah mom and dad they're the ones that tell me all the things i shouldn't be doing and so I, I'm a big believer in you water what you want to grow and that it's a totally different way. You don't you don't you focus on what you want to have happen. You highlight that behavior, right? You get because then people are more apt to do more of it. Well, and and that's why um, one of the chapters that wasn't planned in the book was the one on it's not magic, it's science. And my co-author, Sherry Torres, is the she's the um, I'll call her the brainchild behind this chapter. And it took us about 24 rewrites to get it simple so that you would understand it in the essence that um, how your brain works, how once you begin to practice this, it's it's so natural and and the outcomes are are totally are just totally amazing because, you know, you think about it, you need to tell people what you're looking for, because if all you do is tell them what they can't do, they walk away saying, I don't know what to do and I don't like you because all you tell me is everything I do wrong. So you're actually impacting them, shutting them down. They are not as productive. It's not healthy for them. But when someone does something wrong and you acknowledge it, remember I said you got to name it, but when you flip it to what what it is that you want and then you ask questions on how to get them there, they have the energy to move forward to give you something even better and they know a direction to move in. And that's what's so important for managers and supervisors and leaders and parents. What do you mean, name it? Help, help me make sure I understand. So, that. if you go back to the positive framing, um, I, there's three steps to the flip process that we talk about in our book. But basically, you name it. What's the problem, the complaint, or the thing you don't want? That's what a challenge people is easy to realize what I don't want. Yeah. So, the second thing is when you flip it, well, what do you do want? What do you want more of? People aren't used to someone coming back to you and saying, you know, so tell me, Russ, what do you want to happen? And then you frame it is if this happens, Russ, what are we moving toward? What's the outcome? So that leads into the second practice called generative yeah. questions. 
Yeah, which I'm, I I love this area. So let's let's dig into this. What 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 is a, a generative question? So a generative question is a question you don't know the answer to. Sometimes you ask questions to people and you know the answer, and they know you know the answer, and they're wondering why did you ask me that question. Yeah. Um, a, a generative question is really you have an attitude of curiosity about life and the person and the situation. You're you're so genuine and and that you want to realize that a generative question changes how I think you think, how I'm going to act, and how you're going to act, and then we become um, really good creators of solutions. So that's a technique to learn to answer generative questions that make room for diverse and different perspectives. It's going to surface new information and knowledge. It's going to stimulate creativity and innovation. And going back to what AI is, it's going to focus on the best of what is and what might be. Okay. So give us some examples in the workplace. So you, you, you not only write about this, and what I, what I love about uh, your background, Jackie, is you're not just an author that's written about something. You're actually out in organizations coaching on this and living it and helping executives with it. So g- give us some, some more insight into what does that look like when you're, when you're coaching leaders of an organization or a team? Hey, I need you to get better at asking generative questions, getting those relative voices or relevant voices into the conversation. How does that work? So, okay, so a generative question, and, and again, in the book, we give you a whole list of them, but I'll tell you um, my favorite question and probably my most eye-awakening story. Um, so I was working with an automotive plant. I was hired to go into this automotive plant that was by a holding company and come up with a strategy to shut the plant, the plant down in three years. So here I am, the consultant coming in, the facilitator, to about 120 people. We know 300, there were representations of the whole plant that we were going to phase out the plant. Probably 300 people would lose their jobs. But the good news is we got to come up with a strategy of how to shut the plant down. So that can be empowering. When I came into the room, I and I'll remember it, it was July 5th. It was a Monday. And <laughs> it was really an uncomfortable environment. And I said to them, and here's the possibility. Who, I said, who was in the room, Jackie? Who was the in the room? The plant managers, the employees, the staff, everybody that had everybody. a connection with the plant. There were probably 100 people that weren't there, but, um, you know, the people that had a say in how the plant would shut mm. down. So here's the innovation. I said to the group, what if we created a revitalization plan? And they looked at me as if I was crazy. And they're like, either the plant is open or they're shut down with this holding company, this multi-billion-dollar one, and we're on the shutdown list. I said, "But what if we created? Let's flip it. A revitalization list. That was my that was my simple flip. What would this look like? Knowing that, let's come up with a plan to stay open for three years, realizing that by year two, if we can't start to make these metrics, we will phase out and all still lose our job in three years. It took them." a little time to get used to this flip and thinking, well, I thought we were supposed to shut. They were all confused. And I said, look, the, the holding company can say no. So they took control of the plant, the plan. They still agreed that if we couldn't turn anything around with it, and within 18 months, people would be phased out. But if they could get revitalize this plant and move it in the right direction, why should we shut it down? The plant never shut down. It's 12 mm-hmm. years later. The, I know the plant in this Midwest Part of the country is still open. 
Okay, we've got just a few minutes left, and, and I've got a selfish request here. So we've talked sure. a little bit about teenagers. Okay. And J- Jackie and I were talking before we started recording for the podcast. She's she's in the process of moving uh, her two kids off to college, and so she's got teenagers. You've just been through those teenage years. I've got three teenagers at home right now. Uh, this is this is it's tough to write a book about this and to teach it. It's got to be a whole a whole different level um, to to actually do it as a parent with kids. And so we've touched on we've touched on personal application here. But how has this worked or what have you seen, Jackie, as you've used this in your home with kids as a parent over the last however many years? So that's my best return on investment. It's priceless. It's worth millions and millions of dollars is um, how resilient my kids are and how positive. They are not perfect, but they're resilient. They're, they're, they're happy. They're, they're productive. And if you can do this with your kids, if you're, you know, I used to have people say, I don't think this will work in my plan. I said, go try it on your kids or your teenagers. And then they come back and say, wow, this works on my teenagers. And we have a couple stories about teenagers in the book. And um, that's life. You know, that's life giving is to see that your kids are going to have ups and downs. But if you want them to thrive and flourish and and have interdependence and resiliency, that's where you're going to get your best return on investment. And if you if you're done raising kids, then raise your grandchildren this way. And what's the difference? What's the difference in the in, in is it a difference in tone? In the house, do you think? What, what, what's the difference between your house? And we're not being judgmental, obviously, mm-hmm. on anyone else. But as for someone who might not be using this technique, how do you think, how do you think that environment's different? Um, I think it's tone and direction. And, um, you know, with one of my teenage kids, um, I had a problem with when he became mad slamming the door. And I think, don't slam the door. And he'd just go back. He'd slam it harder. So um, one day we took off the bedroom door. And we were home when he came home. And he kind of looked at us strangely, and I said, I just want you to appreciate how lucky you are to have a door. And maybe by not having one for a few days, you'll want that door back and earn it back. And it became, that's just a, we'll always remember that. And I think my son was 13 or 14 at the time. Big Hmm. turnaround. He appreciates the door. He did get it back soon. But, (laughs) you know, there wasn't no anger about shutting the door, you know, but it's just being creative and innovative and thinking, flipping it, don't slam the door, be gentle. With, well, let's see what it's like not having a door. And yeah. that's my best example is um, this does take practice, but it works. Great. Jackie, those that are interested in learning more, obviously there's the book. It's available everywhere. Conversations worth having. Um, I would totally encourage you to go to, to go. Uh, get it and and to read it what how else could people find out more about you and and if they wanted to even reach out to you for for help with their organization absolutely so you could go to the website which is www.conversations with that s worth having.com it's actually the title of the book dot i'm sorry it's conversations worth having dot today and um you know we've got generative questions they can download we've got a a free preface and introduction there's six different ways to buy the book if you want audio cd um it has my colleagues um, background and my background so i would just encourage you to go explore the website and feel free to reach out to either of us conversations with an s plural conversations worth having dot today today yes okay perfect jackie it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you russ Really appreciate Dr. Jackie Stavros joining us on this week's 
episode of the Decide to Lead podcast, the uh, the easiest way to find her book and to find ways to uh, reach out to her is just to go to the show notes for this week's episode. And those are available at RussHill.com slash 013 for episode 13. Russ, R-U-S-S-H-I-L-L, RussHill.com slash 013. The two major takeaways for me from that whole interview are and the book are that conversations that motivate and inspire the behavior you want are framed positively. They're focused on the behavior you do want from a child, a spouse, a family member, an employee, a boss, a whomever, another department. They're focused on the behavior you do want rather than the behavior you don't want. And while the entire conversation isn't structured this way, the majority of it is, and that is their structure, the conversation is structured with sentences that ended in question mark versus sentences that end in a period. And uh, when you start thinking about that, I hope I hope one of your takeaways is you'll start analyzing conversations you're having at home, at work, wherever, and go, okay, how many sentences in that conversation I just had ended in a question mark when they when they and, and by the way, the question shouldn't be rhetorical or demeaning. As Jackie got into their design, the question should be designed to generate thought, ideas, creativity, problem solving. And uh, I, I just I just think that's such an interesting way to uh, to think about the conversations we're having. I'd love your feedback on this week's episode and the podcast overall. Uh, you can connect with me, uh, obviously, on the website, RussHill.com, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I, 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 if you haven't yet, and a lot of you have, um, I, I make sure you, you connect with me. I want to hear your hear your feedback, get your ideas. And it's the easiest way to do that on social media, whether it's Instagram or uh, Twitter, just search Russ Leads, one word, R-U-S-S, Leads, L-E-A-D-S, Russ Leads, or uh, like Facebook.com slash Russ Leads. And on LinkedIn, you can just search for Russ Hill and you'll you'll see me pop up. Hope you'll connect with me on those uh, on those social media platforms. All right, that, that's it for episode number 13. We'll have a new show for you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week, everybody. 